everyone, and welcome back to We're Watching Star Trek, the original series. Uh, today we are watching Season 1, Episode 3, Where No Man Has Gone Before. The original air date is September 22nd, 1966. Uh, we were watching on Amazon Video, but Paramount has taken the rights back, so we're watching on Paramount Plus or via Paramount Plus on Amazon Video. Uh, today we have a man with uh, the highest readings of ESP that they've ever seen in uh, Paul. Hello, my people. I'm here. I'm ready. I'm awake. I'm sipping on tea. I'm just, let's get it. And another guy with ESP, because everybody in this series has ESP, Dan. You know, I'm just that guy. How's it going, everyone? And I am, of course, uh, Brandon Fought. I do not have ESP. Uh, <laughs> but you got PBS. I, you know, I don't have that. That's not a streaming service that I do have. If, is that a streaming service? <laughs> <I hope> not. <laughs> Probably pretty soon if it's not already. Uh, but this episode opens with a captain's log, as they all seem to. Stardate is 1312.4. Uh, the reason that it's before the episodes we've already watched is because this one was shot first but aired out of order so it's it's a little bit uh weird i think after this it gets back on track though uh, the enterprise is picking up a distress signal from a vessel that has been missing for over two centuries uh, spock and kirk are currently playing chess and kirk mentions that spock plays an incredibly irritating game of chess uh spock doesn't really seem to understand what irritating means he's like oh you know that's must be one of those earth emotions kirk makes a move and spock gets kind of an upset look on his face uh kirk makes a joke like oh are you you know you sure you don't know what irritation is uh, spock mentions that one of his ancestors you know may have married a human female at some point and kirk makes a joke about spock having you know bad like mixed blood uh, they get a message that they are within tractor beam range of an object that is too small to be a vessel or a lifeboat, and they can bring it aboard. Uh, Kirk decides to go ahead and have them lock on and bring it on to the Enterprise. One thing I want to interrupt real quick before you get too far ahead of this whole beginning first scene was uh, I really got to look at their sweaters this time because, you know, I'm the fashion guru of this situation. You know, <laughs> oh, dude, they're terrible. Look at their sweaters, and they're disgusting. Not only are they terrible, the colors are terrible. Look at the colors. Like, the, so I, I particularly wrote this down. The colors are like peach, you know, uh, is that supposed to be yellow? I don't really know the, the color scheme of this show. Plus, if they're, when you're playing chess, I swear, if you look behind them, you got to look on the right side behind them when they're first playing chess. There's a chick back there and like a pink tank top and like a pink, like a cheerleader outfit, bro. She's in the background. She's cheering on the chess game. I'm telling you, it's, it's a cheerleader outfit. I'm like, I looked and I was like, what's that in the background? I didn't know anybody fashion. Everybody knows I'm a fashion guy on the show. And uh, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, it's funny to see that, like, because like I said, this was, you know, the first uh, recorded episode and then they aired them out of order. So obviously after they got done with this one, they decided that they needed to make a change to like the more vibrant colors and bring in like the red that we saw a little bit later. Well, Paul, if I remember right, wasn't the original a crew member that was also in a cheerleader outfit or a skirt? There's been a couple like, oh no, you're talking about the first yeoman. The very first yeoman we saw. Yeah, she had a, the yeoman's wore skirts. Yeah, in, in the very beginning. But like, I don't know. It's just, it's just the color of pink. It's like the hottest pink of hot and it's the full outfit and it's, it's it looks like pom-poms it's the whole thing i'm like it is a lot and i, I saw i saw in the middle of the screen first of all when he cuts one angle she's there the other angle she's sitting right there and, it, and i couldn't get take my eyes off the corner of my screen because why is that pink blob there i just 
<laughs> it just it caught my eye. I just want to say something about I'm fashion guy around here, so I just want to say these sweaters are disgusting. I'm trying to I'm trying to find me one, and uh, you know, and the color scheme is just really off on this episode it, already. For me, this thing, uh, you know, they get this warning that they find something, you know, out in space, and Kirk is immediately just like, "Hey, bring it on board." Like, dude, you don't that you have no clue what this thing is, and you're just fine with just bringing it onto your ship. I wrote something later on, which I think when we got when we got to when they when they brought it on board or whatever, I, I'm ahead of myself. You see, it's, you get way too ahead because I'm like, oh yeah, just bring it on board. I'm like, okay, so where's the the clean protocol? You know, like where's the like okay, let's bring it on board and make sure it goes through the blah 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 cleaning or make sure it goes through something something cleaning. Like make sure something. Let's just bring it on board. Like oh, let me go touch it real quick. Like you in space. What about space germs? I mean, yeah. So to that end, uh, they transport the object on board. Uh, Kirk says that it's an old style ship recorder that could have been ejected. You know, Spock notes that the recorder is damaged. It's got some burns. It's kind of pitted. Uh, Kirk is like, oh, yeah, you know, we can just feed it through Spock's computer and, you know, check out this data stuff. Um, I noticed uh, on the top of the recording device, it says Valiant. So I assumed that that was the name of the ship that got rid Mm -hmm. of it. But also here, he's just like, oh, you know, it's a recording device. Let's go ahead and just throw this through Spock's computer, which is obviously hooked to the Enterprise's computer. So, like, go ahead and just take a chance of there being something nefarious that, you know, runs through your ship system. Like, he's just super trusting of this thing they just found in space yeah. like 10 seconds ago. So the recorder starts beeping and a yellow light uh, starts flashing on the top of it. And the transporter crew says that the object has become transmitting. And... uh Kirk says that he wants all decks on alert. So, you know, he's he's no nonsense. He's not going to take any chances with this thing. He's like, oh, you know, it started doing something. I want everybody on alert. But if that's the attitude that you have, why even bring it on to begin with? Like, you were super cautious when it starts doing something, but then you just brought this thing onto your ship without having any idea what it even is. Yeah. Uh, so we get the commercial break, uh, show opening. And for some reason, when I watched this opening, I noticed that the there's an upright bass that plays throughout this and that thing is just absolutely funky like somebody is just going <laughs> ham on that upright bass this was the first time i skipped the intro since i've been watching the episode yeah now you're gonna have to yeah, go just time listen I was to like, that you bass know what? i gotta hurry up and get through it i don't have a lot of time let me go ahead and just skip ahead of the tr- this uh, thing so i'll skip ahead of it this time yeah so uh, on the enterprise there's a lot of movement in the hallways everybody you know going on alert uh they head into their stations or whatever uh kirk goes into an elevator And uh, a man asked him to hold the elevator for him. He uh, asked Kirk and Spock about how the chess game went. And Spock mentions that Kirk plays uh, most illogically and says that, well, you know, his his next move should have been the rook. So, you know, he's kind of upset, I guess, if he can feel upset. He's he's just confused about how Kirk plays chess. Yeah, because he he plays plays very illogical and and Vulcan's very logical about their... About the things to do. I did write a note already about this. Was uh, he called a uh, Kirk Jim? Yeah, I found that weird. I don't know why. Like my brain was like, okay, he's ca- he's the captain. He just walked in and called him Jim. Like, yeah, he's very casual, super casual. Which is like, oh, they must be really good friends. So I thought about once he called him Jim. What I'm thinking about, it, I thought, okay, they must have a real good friendship. And my brain immediately went, oh, he's probably gonna die this episode. <laughs> then. He's probably dead. Do you think <laughs> that? Uh that it's kind of hard to work on the enterprise with him because they're all very casual and then, you know, they're good friends and everything. But then the next thing you know, you're taking orders yeah. from the guy. So like, do you think it's hard for them to separate the captain from the friend when the time comes? Spock probably no. Yeah, I, I could agree with that. Spock probably yeah. does not have that My, issue. Well, I have, I have so much issue with the fashion in this, in this show. 
I just, I, I, and, and the color scheme, it just, it drives me crazy. Why is him? Why do you put Spock and Kurt in the same color all the time? Do you obviously they don't have an infinite amount, an infinite amount of these shirts, and so they have to clean them. Do you think that they get confused about whose is whose, or do you think they just took a marker like the inside of it says Spock? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just they just pick anything out of the laundry as long as it fits. These are questions that the world has been asking. I'm, I'm asking now. So on the bridge, uh, a man relieves someone from uh, their station. And we find out that the guy's name is uh, Mitchell. That's the guy that was in the elevator with uh, Kirk and Spock. Um, a blonde woman enters the bridge and stands behind Kirk as he orders the large screen to be turned on while Spock listens for a signal. Uh, Kirk is told that they're approaching the galaxy's edge and Kirk orders that they hold their position. Uh, so he addresses over the intercom, uh, just kind of explaining everything that they're doing, which I really liked because you have to figure like, how many people do you think on this? Sh- well, we know how many people that are on the ship. He said so in the last episode. So he's, he's got all these people on the ship and because he just addressed the entire crew over the intercom, they all know what's going on, which nothing makes your job easier than knowing why you're doing the thing that you're doing. So like, I think, I think that's just a really a mark of a really good captain of he's just keeping everybody on the entire ship involved and keeping them all knowing, you know, what's what going a on. Of yeah, our no real kidding. life guys. What a pillow of our real life of the yeah. captain of the ship being, Hey guys, you know what's going on? This is what's going on. And this is what's going on. And here's the reason why. I mean, transparency. Ooh. Uh, so a group of people enter the bridge and Mitchell explains that they're the heads of the different departments and Kirk, uh, one of them on the bridge before the Enterprise left the galaxy. So Kirk orders the blonde woman, who gets the last name of Smith, out of his way so he can address the department heads. Uh, and they're introduced as the Astroscience, uh, Engineering Division, Life Sciences, and Dr. Daner, who joined the ship at the Aldebaran Colony. I think I said that right. Uh, she explains that she's from the psychiatry department and that she's there to study the crew reactions and emergency conditions. And the reason I keep mentioning this, uh, the blonde woman that kind of snuck up behind him and that he ordered out of the way is that she doesn't really do too much of anything after that. I don't think like they just kind of oddly put her in the way and like she interacted with Kirk once. And then that's pretty much the end of that, which they have a really weird way of doing that. Yeah, I just think it's kind of weird. Once again, I mean, get out the colors. Just let it go. Paul. let it go. Okay, Uh, you know, they're all wearing this. They're all sitting there behind there. They're all sitting there just in there like like a. in a group for like in a weird reason i don't get why i mean i know he says they're the head of the department yeah. but they're sitting there and they seem out of place just the way they're standing there it looked like they're going to take a group photo yeah, yeah, like, yeah. guys we're getting ready and, to leave the, this galaxy everybody get ready for the selfie yeah i also mentioned what i mentioned uh oh yeah it seems like all the females in the show are kind of blonde hey kirk had a type <laughs> green animal women sleeps yeah and then uh the echo inter- intercom i found kind of mm, like that was a little bit cringy like as that part happened, and also the look at the female yeoman that's with him. Like from the she was, so she got off the, got off the elevator. She was sitting there behind him, and she looked kind of like she was like nervous. And as she's like walking toward them, following them, looks like she's nervous. Like this might be a first job acting. Like I swear, like she look she realizes that she's nervous and out of place. And I caught that where it looks like. I don't know if she's supposed to look nervous. I don't know what, but she just looks out of place. That's what everybody yeah, in this. And then he just kind of like moves her out of the way so he can go talk to the department heads. And then that's just it for her. Like she's done yeah. in the episode. So Spock announces that they're getting uh, something from the recorder. Uh, he's kind of like translating it as he's hearing it. 
there's a little bit of banter between Daner and Mitchell, and Mitchell refers to her as a walking freezer unit because like he, he hits on her and she kind of shuts him down. Which which is dirty. Which is dirty. I still say that is well. That was. I mean, he might as well have said a b word. He might as well he might have said a b word because <laughs> walking freezer unit. That is dirty. And I put, wow, I'm using that on somebody. I'm eager to see you use that in like a regular conversation. Oh, hey, hey, I just, I love that line so much. I was like, yeah, I'm taking that. I don't want to forget that. It's just, it was good. So uh, Spock explains that the Valiant had encountered a magnetic space storm and was being swept uh, in the direction that the Enterprise is currently sitting. Uh, Kirk mentions their old impulse engines probably weren't strong enough to, uh, you know, do anything against that magnetic space storm. Spock says that the Valiant was swept past the, the the point where they were sitting and about a half light year out of the galaxy. So they were thrown clear and, and turned and headed back towards the galaxy. And then the, the tapes are badly burned, so he can't really get any more information out of them. Uh, he says it sounded like the ship had encountered some sort of unknown unknown force. And he says that they there were repeated orders to search the ship's computer records for anything concerning ESP and human beings, and I have more motherfucking mind powers. The go-to power in the universe. Yep. Listen, I put ESP, really. And like, and I put really because uh, Kurt it says what it was back to him. ESP, it's extreme surgery perception. Like, who? Did, first of all, who knows what that is? I mean, I, I, I didn't, when he said it, I knew exactly what ESP was, but it's funny how they really, they use these fancy, uh, Almost say all these quotations or whatever, and the person after them repeats it. So he has regular person. You're like, oh, okay, that's what that means. Yeah, it's it's almost. Uh, I mean, obviously this came first, but it's like Metal Gear. Anytime anybody says anything to Snake, he has to repeat it. He's like ESP. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you, like it's like we're all. It's like um, it's almost like we're all like stupid, like little kids are like, okay, when they say something, we have the second person repeat it and then explain what it is. Like, cause we know how dumb they are, which I get for for that kind of time. That was a that was a thing, cause you know it's a lot of a lot of sci-fi and a lot of uh, interesting uh, things they have to learn, you know. But I understand, I understand how to explain everything. It's just it drives me crazy when they do it, cause when they said that, I knew what it was, but I was like, okay, ESP again. So Kirk asks uh, Doctor Daner how she is an ESP, and she says that uh, in tests she had rated highly. Uh, Kirk wants to know what she knows about it. And she says that, you know, it's it's a fact that some people can sense future happenings and that they can read the backs of playing cards and so on, uh, but that her Esper capacity is limited. So obviously ESP is like a fairly common thing in this universe. Like they know people just have these uh, abilities. But the issue that I take with this and the fact that they were aired out of sequence is like, yeah, we know uh, some people have some mind abilities because we've seen, pe- we've seen people turned into iguanas and have their faces removed and pe- some people just disappeared. So like, obviously, you know, mind powers are a thing. So Spock says that the uh, Valiant suffered some severe damage. They had uh, seven crewmen dead. Uh, he corrects himself saying that one of the crewmen actually recovered. And that's when uh, everything became frantic about the whole ESP thing. Uh, It sounded like the captain had given an order to destroy his own ship. And that's what they think happened to the Valiant. So Kirk asked the department heads for comments. Uh, One of them says that, you know, the only fact that they have is that the Valiant was destroyed. And, you know, other than that, that we don't really know. So Kirk just wants to continue to probe the area. 
Uh, he gives the orders to leave the galaxy, and they're going to set uh, Warp Factor 1, which I wonder how many Warp Factors there are. I told guys, I did watch some Star Trek in the future, so I know in the future they get to 9, I, but I don't know what it is this early in the... Um, right. I, like this early like if they thing. only have, like, two of them, he's like, let's go, you know, one. Everybody's like, oh, my goodness, we're halfway as fast as we can be. Yeah, so, so I, think warp, I think Warp 1 is, like, a one-time light speed, maybe, and then Warp 2 is, like, two times light speed. Is okay. that what it, or something like that? Hopefully they'll explain that later on. Yeah, I'm hoping they flesh that out. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I think that might be it. But I did, but I did note the CGI in the window when they're going through the magnetic stuff is really, really cool. It still looks good. It still holds up pretty good. So that's where we are now. The uh, the crew is watching uh, through the screen, and they all look like they're just you know held in suspense uh, when they get a, a purple uh, kind of force field comes into their view. And uh, Spock orders the sensor beam to be turned on and the, the the deflectors at full intensity. And the deflectors say that, you know, hey, something's there, but the sensors can't find anything. So there's no density, there's no radiation, no energy detective. And the helmsman says that they're going to make contact with an object in 12 seconds. So then we get a, a view from outside of the Enterprise flying into this, you know, purple energy type stuff, um, force field, I guess which I think is a very cool shot because we don't really get to see too much outside of the Enterprise while things are happening on the Enterprise. Like we've seen it in orbit, you know, we've seen it uh, coming back from commercials, just kind of moving, but nothing, you know, really action oriented. And not that this had, you know, a whole lot of action, but they're flying into a big purple, you know, mass. It was still neat. Yeah. And I wonder if this is part of the remastered series, like, cause that CGI, I think, while not terribly recent, it has to be way more recent than the 60s. Like, there's no way that that looked like that back then. It maybe it was a digital remaster, and when they went through and remastered it, they kind of made it look a little better or something. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering, if they, they had to have gone back and, and done done some of that. Uh, but back inside the bridge, there is a sound of some like electrical crackling, and Kirk orders the gravitation to be set on automatic, because they don't just want to start floating around the room. Uh, the... Force field changes to a red with like flashes of yellow and boy watching that in a dark room really I, I didn't expect it. I almost <laughs> do get my sunglasses. Uh we've been talking about it for a while. You know this show has the uh not good for epilepsy. Yeah. <laughs> every, every, everything in this show, if you if you have if you don't like flashing lights to epilepsy, I'm sorry, that's not the show for you. Yeah, it's, it's really not, not. <laughs> it's not the show for you. Epilepsy, you're like, oh you're done. The show has way don't, too many. Don't watch it lights. in the dark. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, so the bridge lights go out, and then uh, a few of the consoles on the bridge actually start to explode, and Kirk orders all of the decks to be set on fire alert, which is, you know, hey, solid call. Uh, so he orders the controls to be set to manual, and then the exploded panels catch on fire. So good thing he told them to all get on fire alert, and none of them react to that at all. They're like, oh, hey, the bridge is on fire, and no one, no one does anything. Uh, so Spock starts yelling that there's still no radiation or no readings on anything like radiation. Um, and I just thought that this was honestly an incredibly suspenseful scene. Like the music for this was really good. The acting was really good. Like it was, they really just kind of turned it up right here. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you, but I'm just going to leave my comment until after we get to the end of the scene. Okay. So Kirk orders the uh, helmsman Mitchell to take them out of the energy stuff that they're in. And suddenly, uh, Daner and Mitchell seem to get shocked by something, and they both just collapse. So Spock runs, takes over for Mitchell, and you know they navigate through the uh, 
the energy into a calmer area and we get another one of those cool shots from outside of the ship kind of leaving the the purple stuff yeah the um also when they uh when it gets shocked they have the little freeze frame black and white gray thing for a minute that was really cool yeah i i wonder if they shot that and then they were like they're watching it back and editing and they're like man that doesn't look like really anything happened at all it's just like throw a still frame of kind of like a skeleton oh, type thing in there yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like yeah, you know like, something like happened cool. yeah it just it looked really cool uh, so Spock orders uh, damage reports from all stations while Kirk tends to Dr. Daner. Uh, he says that something like an electrical charge must have hit her. Uh, somebody reports that Mitchell is alive, but he appears to be in shock. Spock tells Kirk that the main engines are down. They're running on emergency power and says that there are nine dead crew. And I believe that brings us to 13 total dead in the series so far. Uh, only like three episodes in, four if you include the pilot. Which is kind so, of a, it's a big body count. A lot of people die on his watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kirk asks uh, Mitchell, whose first name is Gary, we find out, so he's Gary Mitchell, uh, if he's okay. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just feeling a little bit of weak, but he feels all right. And then he turns onto his back to reveal that his eyes have turned this, like, really weird uh, silver color. And then we go to a commercial break. Okay, now that we're here. Okay. I want to go back and say this. This is by far the best filmed scene of this show ever. Yes, it was very good. Everything yeah. about uh, everything about this scene was perfect. And this is like me. I'm a movie junkie, guys. I'm a TV junkie. So I'm telling you, everything about this is perfect. And I don't know why. Because, like, the CGI, perfectly at the time, perfectly cool. The pacing, perfectly cool. The little little uh, CGI magic uh, flashy lights, perfectly cool. Everything about this is perfectly cool. My only issue is this. I started to notice when Mitchell was pressing on the computer thing, he kept holding the yeoman girl's hand the whole time. He never let her go. Why don't you have two can? I, why don't you have two hands on the computer? The, 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 there's stuff going on, man. This this going on, that going on, right? You are holding this girl's hand trying to protect her, which I, I guess the man thing to do, whatever that is. But yo, you got a job to do. Yo, look at the, the console and use both of your hands to press the buttons, please, that cause us for not having any issues. That's all yeah, I'm saying, man. It's kind of weird. Uh, he seems like he's in uh, a helmsman's role, but it, I believe the guy next to him is also at a helm. So do they have two helmsmen for yeah, that yeah. situation? That's always, actually. I, I noticed that if you ever look in front of them, there's always two guys sitting down that, that control things. I'm not sure why they have two guys doing it, maybe. But I just... I wrote down, let me let her go, bro. Two hands on the computer. That's how I wrote down. It, I was just getting so mad. I'm like, let her go. Put hands on the computer. Don't make this. Because I thought that he was going to get zapped. And then it was that point that she would die. Yeah. Because he was touching her. I thought that's what they're setting up for for that trick. But he just, I don't know. I just. No, he's like, hell no. I'm going to hold this girl's hand before I die. Yeah, yeah. It just, it just like for an amazing, perfect scene, that just, that part annoyed me. Because I got what he was, I got it. It shows his character, how he is. I just, I truly thought, yo, stop holding this chick and put both your hands on the console, please, and figure out a way to get us out of this. Uh, but, but yeah, I agree that that was a, a very well filmed scene. Like the the music was fantastic. I thought uh, all of the acting was really good. And obviously I'm not like an acting expert, but I didn't see anything that they, I think they acted the situation very well. And then, you know, there was, there was a little bit of action with like the exploding consoles and it wasn't over the top. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that that was, that's probably the best scene that I've seen, uh, so far in our limited run of the series here. Yeah, I agree. So we come back from the commercial and we have another captain's log start date. 
1312.9, so I assume a few hours from the first one. Uh, the ship's headed back on impulse power only because the main engines have burned out, and the ship cannot warp, which means that the Earth bases that were only a few days away would now take them several years to get to. The crew members are working to repair the bridge, and Kirk wonders, you know, in his log as he's narrating about what destroyed the Valiant, which is a really weird thing to be thinking about when... Your ship's on fire? Yeah, and, and like, nine people just died. And he's thinking, well, you know, what what did take that out? He says that the, the people in the Valiant lived through that barrier, but he was just super curious about what happened to them after that. So Spock is looking through the records uh, of Elizabeth Daner, so we have her first name now, and her records show that she has a higher-than-average uh, Esper rating and that... Her superiority is in guessing games, and they show that her mother and father both had the ability and that she's interested in researching uh, other people with similar abilities. Um, it lists that she's 21 years old, but I would have guessed she was in like her early 30s. You got to remember that we've been going through that for a while now. Yeah, like people in the 60s just looked older. That or they're getting really good uh, actresses to play younger characters, which doesn't make any sense because you can just say she's 20 or 30, whatever age is, and let it go. Yeah, like that. I don't know what the you know what that matters. And I actually had to pause because they're just they're going through. They look like what are the what are those called in um in libraries? The catalog cards, the car catalogs. Yeah, they look like those. Like they, they yeah. look like they just had a scan of those on the screen. Like it was terribly unfuturistic for being on a spaceship leaving the galaxy. Uh, yeah. But I paused on there and kind of read through everything, and they just kind of had it casually listed what her age was. So it's not like oh, it has okay. a huge bearing on anything. I just. You know, kind of noticed that she looked a little bit older than 21. But Spock is then uh, reading through uh, Gary Mitchell's records, finds out that he has well above average Esper abilities and that he showed a marked ability to sense telepathic communications on uh, the planet uh, Deneb 4 and carried on a telepathic communication with uh, 80% or higher comprehension. So he's, you know, he's up there as far as uh, ESP ratings goes. And that he has a very strong Esper bloodline on his mother's side going back at least six generations. Um, he is 23, but I'll, again, I would have guessed he was in his early 30s. He looks older. Yeah, he looks older than 23. I'm telling you, when it comes to this thing, I just, it is what it is for them. They just, they, it, I don't know, these people look a little, it's a tad bit older, maybe a lot about the age, I'm not sure. Just, you know. But how old do we think Captain Kirk is then? Oh, you 20s. know what? 20. I don't know. I, I guess I'll mid twenties. Mid twenties. Like yeah, if you base, you know how he looks compared to Mitchell and uh, Daner, and he could easily. I mean, they could say he's in his twenties, but I would think that he's in like his thirties. But I bet they have him listed as like twenty five, which would, I think would be an early time to be a starship captain. Or actually, it'd be the right time if you think about it. Become a captain, you got to put years in. I'm assuming he has to do with a lot of stuff to become a captain. I assume all the captains are older. Well, maybe that the regularly of people dying on the ship, like he just got promoted. Like, oh hey, uh, everyone ahead of you's dead. Here you yeah, go. Yeah, he, he just earned it because he hadn't died yet. Put that mop down, son. You're a captain now. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Daner enters the bridge and delivers an autopsy report to Captain Kirk about the nine others that had died. And she explains that each body had showed damage to their neural circuits and that an area of the brain was actually burned out, which sounds incredibly painful. Uh, She says that she and Mitchell are both feeling fine, except for obviously Mitchell's eyes. And that she's trying to find out why only certain crew members were affected. Spock thinks that he may have figured that out and tells Kirk that Mitchell and Daner and the others all have records of uh, ESP. And, you know, Gary Mitchell has 
the highest ratings out of everyone. Uh, Spock mentions that the captain of the Valiant was uh, frantically searching for ESP information on his crew before the Valiant was destroyed. Daner argues that espers are only people with flashes of insight, and Spock asks about people that can see through solid objects and causes fires to start spontaneously, and he doesn't mention you know turning people into iguanas because I guess technically it hasn't happened yet. Uh, but then Daner says that uh, there's nothing about ESP that could make a person dangerous, which again we we know better by now. And they're all dangerous, and she gets she got like immediately defensive too about that thing. Well, I think it's because she knew she had she has a mid to, mid to high ESP herself. I just think they're focused on the ESP angle so much that you're starting to realize, oh, okay, so they keep mentioning it over and over again. They're doing your head. It's important, so I remember that. Yeah. Uh, and Kirk is there, just kind of wondering if there is a, another kind of esp power which again i guess technically they haven't met charlie yet uh in the medical bay uh mitchell is reading a book on a screen when kirk enters the room and uh gary says that you know he's he feels better than he's ever felt in his entire life and that the incident seems to have done him some good uh, he says that it's given him a chance to read some of the things that kirk likes to read and you know he kind of starts reminiscing about how the academy uh, Kirk was a, a stack of books with legs and says that he was told to watch out for Kirk and that in his class, you either think or sink, which actually, how old is Kirk then if he was teaching at the academy? Ah, uh, okay. I'm not sure. Maybe he's a, maybe just really, really smart. So they made him a teacher. Yeah. He's just a super smart dude. He's a prodigy. Yeah. I wrote down, um, he said something like long hair stuff. Yeah. He said something about, he said, I've been doing some of that long, long hair stuff. I can't remember. like. I can't remember what he says. He's like, I begin to read some of that long hair stuff like you like. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? I think that, that uh, it's the, you know, like the bigger books, the, the really, really long stuff and the like super, I don't know, maybe not philosophical, but maybe there's some of that kind of thing in there. Like when people, you know, like the art of war type thing. Yeah, but they call it long hair stuff is what got me. Like, like is that implying like what's a hippie book? Like it's a hippie book or something like that? Or is it like... I don't know. Nerds had long hair then. Weirdos had long hair. I, I don't know what he calls them, but long hair stuff. Maybe it's a slang for the time. Yeah, I, I thought know. about that too, but wasn't the hippie thing movement more of like a 70s thing? I'm not sure. I just don't know the term long hair. The term long hair stuff is just something I, I, I need to research myself actually look into. I just, I don't know if it's slang for something. I don't know. I've never, I, in my entire life, I've never once heard the term long hair stuff. Yeah, we're really dating ourselves on this podcast, aren't we? <laughs> I just never, I never heard it in my entire life. So it just something, I just it stuck with me. I was like, I don't want. It just something stuck with me. And you also got to see their their friendship dynamic too. When he's talking to him about them growing up together, it's like building up the friendship, aka get ready for the the terrible end. Like they're doing every episode. There's somebody they like, their friends. They start to get like them. They start to care about them, hear about the, all that story in the back, the back story. Then they die. That's how I felt. So the whole time I he's talking, I thought, yeah, you dying. Like this whole time, every time we said a word, I think you, you're talking about old school friendships. Remember how good friends you are, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I'm like, like oh, yep, oh you and Kirk are really good friends, but this is the first time we're ever seeing you. Yeah, you're screwed. Yep, exactly. Uh, so Kirk asks if it was really that bad, uh, you know, being taught by him. And, and Gary's like, well, you know, if I hadn't aimed that little blonde lab technician at you. And Kirk was like, oh, did you know, did you plan that? I And, you know, Gary's, you know, I, I outlined the whole thing, which I'm assuming, you know, he... Kind of like sent this uh, this girl after Kirk to uh, 
you know, mellow him out or keep him off him for a little bit. And Kirk's like, well, I, I almost married her. You know, which explains why there's so many blondes on the ship. He had the type. Yeah, it's, it's Kirk's type. So Kirk says that, or Gary says that Kirk had uh, better be good to him because, you know, he's getting, you know, better ideas than he had then. And uh, he asks when he can go back on duty. And Kirk's like, well, you know, I'm going to have Dr. Dana or Dr. Daner uh, keep an eye on you, you know, keep you under observation for a little while. And uh, Gary gets a little upset about that. He's well, you know, there's almost 100 women on board. You know, you can do better than that. Uh, so Kirk just kind of jokingly says, you know, just consider it a challenge. And he starts to walk away. And then uh, Gary seems or says that that doesn't seem very friendly. And then like he uses this like echoey voice, this like really loud echoey voice. And he's like, oh, you know, didn't I say, you know, and Kirk turns around real quick and, and Gary finishes. He's like, to be good to me. You know, back to his regular voice. Uh, so Kirk leaves and yeah, Gary continues like, reading. Like the intercom. Yeah, but uh, Gary continues to read at a, a really, really fast pace. So obviously, you know, something's happening with him. If you can't tell just by his uh, his eyes. But what a cool superpower, though. Being able to read like that, that'd be awesome. Yeah, he can read super fast and he can talk in an echoey voice. So Kirk and Spock are watching Mitchell uh, through a video screen and, and Kirk orders a 24-hour watch on the sick bay and the fullest possible range of tests on Gary. So <laughs> Gary's not about to have a good time, I imagine. Uh, so then Gary looks at the screen, you know, like he can see Kirk watching him through it. Uh, so back in Gary's room, uh, a doctor is in there and he notes that Gary's in absolutely perfect health. He's there with Dr. Dana Daner and mentions that she mentions that Gary had called her a walking freezer unit and he kind of apologizes for that. So Daner asks uh, Gary how he feels and, you know, he says that everybody seems to be worried that he doesn't have something wrong with him, like a fever or something. So he turns around to the uh, readings, his, uh, you know, vital signs and things that are being displayed on a monitor and they start to show a bad reading and then he just kind of switches them back to normal. Uh, and Daner asks how he does that and he's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I just thought of making it happen and then it does. So he's he's kind of like learning about, you know, whatever power he was just given or is starting to get. So then he's like, oh, you know, hey, watch this, Doc. And he makes all of his readings drop to nothing. And then he just stops moving like he, he just dies. So Daner, uh, you know, gets a little worried and tries to wake him up. And when she does, she tells him he was uh, dead for almost 22 seconds. He starts just kind of talking about how he went through the ship's library in almost a day, or he went through half the ship's library in almost a day. So Daner gives him another tape. Um, she wants him to memorize it and tells him to specifically read page 387. So he reads uh, 387 and says that it's uh, funny that she picks it because it's one of the most passionate love sonnets in the past couple of centuries. And I don't, like, why, why would she give that to him after she showed on the bridge that she doesn't really give a shit about him. Like he hits on her and you know, she just completely shuts him down. And then a few hours later they get hit by lightning and she's like, Oh, you know, read this love sonnet. Yeah. I thought it was kind of weird, you know, but I just, I just went through, maybe they, maybe this is the boat got shot by lightning or something. She was feeling different. So she got shocked. She's feeling a little, you know, frisky. Yep. You know, you, they have that you in get, common now. You get shot, you get, <laughs> you get shot by light. <laughs> you get shot by lightning, you know, you're like, Oh man. I'm starting to feel. I feel a little tingle inside. Literally, you know. I... <laughs> it's like like that scene in like the Matrix Two with the cake or whatever that or that whatever that guy sent that girl the dessert. Yeah, it's like Ooh, oh yeah yeah the dessert yeah. She's like oh lightning. I just <laughs> got me feel a little tingly now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Gary grabs uh, 
Dr. Daner by the arm, you know, asks her how she feels. And she's like, oh, you know, I didn't feel anything. Nothing really happened. And he, he doesn't believe her. He's like, are you sure? And then uh, somebody enters the room, uh, says that he was on his coffee break, and he just wanted to stop and check up on, on Gary, see how he was doing. So Gary starts asking the guy about how the repairs are going. Uh, the guy's name is Lee, and he says that the main engines are gone, you know, unless they can find a way to re-energize them. Uh, and Gary gets really, really serious, and he's like, you better check on the starboard impulse banks because the, the points have decayed, to, have almost decayed to lead. And Lee's just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do it. I'll have a look. Whatever you say, crazy guy with silver eyes. Uh, but Gary gets super serious and yells that he's not joking about it and that he needs to go check those and that, you know, if they activate those packs, then they're going to blow the whole impulse deck. And so, you know, Lee gets super serious. He's like, well, I'll get on it right away. I just wanted to stop and see how you were. And then he he just leaves. Uh, so Gary tells uh, Dr. Daner that, you know, Lee's a fool because he, he saw those points and he didn't notice their condition. And she's like, well, you know, how do you know that? And he says that the image of what Lee saw was still in his mind. So he's, you know, he's starting to read, you know, kind of surface level uh, thoughts of people already. Uh, but I, I also noticed that he doesn't really seem to be like a bad guy right now. You know, obviously he helped uh, Lee figure out, you know, the whole thing with the uh, not exploding the ship. Uh, he's just kind of fig- figuring out his power, just kind of getting used to everything. And, and it, it kind of makes him come off as bad. But I mean, really, like, you know, he's just learning about this weird ass power that he got and doesn't know anything about and doesn't know how to use it. Yeah, I'm not sure if you go, you can go with uh, he was teaching him as much as he was telling him what to do. You know, so even even when he helped them, technically, he didn't do it for he knew it to be the hell you ever going to crash out of yeah. He did it as in like an order, like, hey, go do this. Yeah, but the guy like now. just kind of laughed him off. And like this dude that just got hit by space lightning and has silver eyes. And he tells you, you know, hey, you know, watch out for this thing. And the guy's like, oh, whatever you say, crazy silver eye guy. Yeah, but I would think he's crazy too. You know, people and people like just can't say things out the blue randomly. You not think they're crazy for a second. I, I think Paul had the point on that. Like, like, like it's not, I'm not saying that because when you're talking about it, you're talking about it as in like, you think it's a, he did it out, out of kindness. He did it out of kindness. He did it because he he did it just because he knew like it was more about him and telling and telling him the guy the guy what to do. It's not like he said, "Hey man, I'm trying to save us. You know, go do this." Like there was the 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 motivation behind that wasn't wasn't a, a kind thing. So since the moment he got the powers of me, I think he's been kind of snobbish. Okay, that's kind of fair. Yeah, I, I can see your point of view. I want to say I think he was also kind of annoyed because uh, Lee kind of cock blocked them there. Yeah, 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 he did. Uh, okay, <laughs> you know what? Uh, you know what? My, my motivation perfect for me. I like your motivation better. He's like, you know what? I, I was trying to get some little blonde chick over here, how at her. She's doing science. Like, they and they stuff. were having a moment. Yeah. yeah. If he came in twenty minutes later, man, you know what, what I've been doing. Man, maybe they should have just locked that door then before he read that sonnet. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you get, if you like, like, you can really read my mind. You know what I want to do. Ooh, I wonder if he could. Probably. Mind readers have been uh, the common thing of the show so far. Uh, so we move to a conference room where Lee is talking to Kirk and Spock and a few other people, uh, telling them that Gary was right about the impulse banks and there's no way you know Gary could have known that they were that way. Uh, Dr. Daner enters the room and Spock expresses some concern over what's happening to Gary. Uh, and she just gets really, really defensive, like immediately. Like she goes from just you know zero to ten. And she starts defending him, uh, but Kirk just kind of cuts her off. And so then she snaps at Kirk and, you know, reminds him that, you know, they're friends. You know, they've been friends for a long time, you know, almost. Uh, 
what, 10 minutes of an episode at this point. Uh, so Kirk says, you know, hey, that's my duty, you know, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, I have to listen to reports and observations and even speculations on any subject that might affect the safety of the Enterprise. And uh, he allows Spock to continue what he was saying. And Spock uh, asks Dr. Daner if Gary has any unusual powers. Uh, to your point about how you just said Kirk worries about the crew. But to your earlier point in the episode, he's like, I'm just going to bring this random thing onto the my ship that I know nothing about. Put everyone in danger. Yeah. And, and then, you know, end up here. He's, I mean, I'm really kind of torn on, on him for some of the things. Because like, yeah. That was a pretty stupid thing to just bring this object on board. But for the most part, like he really does seem to be all about his crew and like his duty to keep them safe. But then he also killed nine people leaving the galaxy. Uh, So Dr. Dana uh, notes that uh, Gary can control certain uh, autonomic reflexes, uh, that he can read super fast and he obtains more than most people would consider usual uh, or retains. Uh, Kirk asks Mr. Scott, who is a new character to us, uh, to repeat what, you know, he was just saying to them. Uh, he goes on, uh, says about an hour ago, the bridge controls started going crazy. Levers were shifting all by themselves and buttons were just pushing themselves. And uh, the instrument readings were changing. Uh, but Spock says that on his monitor screen, he could see Mitchell was smiling every time that uh, the buttons and things started getting pushed. And it's as, it's as if the the ship were a toy for uh, Mitchell's amusement. Do you guys think that they called this guy Scott because he's Scottish? I want that to be the backstory. I'm not I'm not sure about that honestly. I'm not sure why they call what. Well, like him. I just I think of and this has nothing to do with Star Trek, but uh, there's a Steven Seagal movie. Uh, I want to say it was maybe Out for Justice or something where he walks into a bar, uh, and like an Italian bar, and he's gets into a fight with like the only biker in the bar and the only Asian guy in the bar. And the biker's name is tattoo and he's covered in tattoos and the Asian guy, they call sticks and he fights with pool cues. So they're just like, Oh, that guy's got tattoos. Like call him tattoo. And like that guy uses sticks. So okay. we'll just call him sticks. So you think like, Oh, that guy's Scottish. We'll just call him Scott. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. It's good. Hey, Irish. Hey, black. Whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Here. <laughs> whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, sir. You can't do that. Like, oh, my fault. <laughs> my fault, sir. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so Kirk asks uh, Dr. Dana, Dr. Dana, if Gary has shown uh, abilities of, you know, that magnitude. You know, can he push the buttons and the levers and all that? And she says that uh, she seems some indications that he could do that. Um, Kirk gets pretty mad that she didn't mention that before. And she starts to defend him again, saying that, you know, he hasn't hurt anybody. So, you know, what's what does it matter? Which I think it matters quite a bit. Uh, but she says that a mutated superior man could be, you know, this wonderful thing. It could be the forerunner of a, a newer and better kind of human. So Kirk asks for uh, Sulu's input because uh, Sulu is there. And he says, you know, Mitchell's ability is increasing geometrically, which I don't even know if that's the right word. Like, that's what he said, but I don't know. Uh, And that it's like having a penny and doubling that penny every day. And in a month, you'd be a millionaire. So, you know, he's... It's funny. Uh, Random story. A long time ago, I was a kid. And when I was a kid, I was a math genius. Like, I admit, I was... So I literally read math books all the time. And there was a story, a problem in that, that book 
It's like literally, if you take a penny and double it and give yourself a double it every day, by the end of the month, you'd be a millionaire. And I it's like, yeah, so I, I told my my foster mom, I said, hey, I'll, t- I'll do this. This is for a month for a penny a day, doubling each day. Of course, she went for it because it sounds like it's not that much. But slowly, you got to imagine it doubles every month. So by the end of the month, you end up with like a million dollars. It's a pretty interesting math problem. It's just one of the things where you don't realize that it'll be that much. And then it's just it's just really smart. I, I knew it as a kid. So when I saw it, I really thought, wow, that's so cool to use that because that, that's something I learned when I was really young. Yeah. If you uh, took a penny and doubled it uh, every day for 30 days, you would have $5,368,709.12. Um, so Spock... Uh, warns that you know in less time than that gary is going to have powers that they can't really understand or cope with and that uh soon they're not only going to be useless to him but they're they're going to be an annoyance to gary uh kirk says you know hey don't discuss this with the rest of the crew so now he doesn't want to involve everybody uh and everybody exits the room uh spock stays there and warns that you know they're never going to make it to an earth base with gary on board and that uh kirk is like you know i want a recommendation on you know not vague warnings uh so spock recommends going to uh delta vega which is a planet a few light days away and has a lithium cracking station he says that they can you know adapt some of the power packs to the enterprise's engines uh you know and recharge the engines kirk says that you know if we they can't make that work then we're going to be trapped in orbit without enough power to blast back out of the orbit uh, so Spock says, you know, it's it's the only way to get Mitchell off the ship. And Kirk gets pretty pissed off and says that he is not going to strand Gary uh, on that planet because the station is fully automated and no one lives on the whole planet. And, you know, even the ore ships call only once every 20 or so years. As of right now, who do you agree with, Spock or Kirk? Uh, at this point in time, I, I would say Spock. What about you, Paul? Honestly, uh, I'm a logical guy, so I'm definitely going to go with Spock. When it comes to Spock's way of thinking, I get his point. It's either the th- think works worst case scenario. Let's go ahead and do what we got to do. Move on. I've known you for a long time, buddy, but I, I'm, I'd open up the spaceport and push you right out. Because <laughs> you got to think the way Spock, uh, sorry, the way Kurt functions is Kurt always thinks crew first. So this was the one time, like I saw him put friendship before crew, and that caught me off guard. So, so that's how you knew how close they were. Because once Kurt even thought about it for a second, he's like, "No, no, no, you know, we have to, we have to do something." So, yeah. it's just a weird, it's just a weird, weird dynamic between the two. Yeah, um, Spock says that the only other choice that they have would be to kill Mitchell while they still can. Uh, Kirk tells him, "You know, just, just get out. Like, I don't even want to hear this." And Spock is like, "You know, that's really your only other choice." And and Kirk says. He's like, well, you know, why don't you try to feel something and at least act like you have a heart? Which, damn. And Spock says that the captain of the Valiant probably felt the same way, and he waited too long to make a decision. Uh, at which point, you know, Kirk says to set a course for Delta Vega. And and so that brings me to the notes that I do have about, you know, that exact thing that we were just talking about, is that as much as I like Captain Kirk, he always seems to get on the right track immediately, and then he lets his personal feelings get in the way. And he just seems to think that he is the guy that can save everybody like he his crew comes first but whatever is threatening them he wants to you know save that thing as well so i really i think spock is starting to become my new favorite character just based on the fact that he's he is very logical like he's very cold about it and he yeah. you know immediately he's like you know the best thing for for the ship 
get rid of this guy. Like either we strand him or we kill him, but those that's all we can do. Like there is no saving him. There's nothing wrong with having compassion. I can see from Kirk's point of view on that, but you're on a spaceship in the literally the middle of nowhere with a godlike being that would wipe you out in an instant once, you know, going back to your penny reference. Yeah. Someone that you know is getting stronger and stronger as time goes on, that you know that, you know, not far from now, you're not going to be able to do anything to stop him from doing whatever it is that he wants to do. And he will eventually get bored with you guys because, you know, why wouldn't he? Like, nobody's going to be a challenge. There's going to be nothing to stop him from doing what he wants. So, like, I think Spock is 100% correct that you either maroon the dude or you kill him. Personally, I don't think I would wait to get to a planet. I think you just end him right now while you still can. I like Paul's idea. Let's push him out the hatch. Yeah, just knock him right out of that thing. Yeah, I just, for me personally, when Spock came to the decision, I like how Spock came with two decisions quick. So either this or this, pick one. And whatever it is, I'm going to roll with yeah. you. It's kind of like, you know, with your friend, like, hey, it's this or this. Pick pick whichever way, which whatever way is right or wrong, but I'm with you either way. But you got to think about the rest of the crew members. Yeah, but a third decision, though, you know, it's like, don't think too, don't be trying to think outside the box. You know, here's the two th- choices we have. It's maroon or this. Don't be, don't waste your time thinking about it so long that we end up losing er- everyone. Do you guys know how short these episodes would be if Spock was the captain? <laughs> he hated <laughs> killing people off right away, like yeah. kill him. I think that guy's evil. You know what? Get rid of him. Better off. Let's go ahead and kill him. Let's go ahead and shoot him in the head now, just in case he could be evil. We don't know for sure, but he he looked at me wrong. I think he's evil. Let's move on to the next point. You know, Spock might kill a lot of people, but I bet his crew would be a lot safer because of it. Yeah. They would also probably live in fear. (laughs) But but, but think how many people we lost. We lost all those episodes. Four episodes in, we lost at least, what, 20 people Uh, I think we are at 13 at this point. Okay, 13 people. So I'm just saying... Maybe those 13 people will be alive if Spock was the captain. Yeah, or Spock would have killed 13 people on his own by now. <laughs> More than 13, probably. You got irritated. You make no sense. You're not being logical. Bam. <laughs> um, so that late, uh, led to a commercial. Uh, we come back from the commercial break. We get a, you know another captain's log, Stardate 13, 13.1. Uh, they're approaching Delta Vega on a course for standard orbit, and the planet is completely uninhabited. Uh, it's slightly smaller than Earth. It's rich in crystals and minerals. And uh, they're going to teleport down with a repair party to regenerate the engines and try to save the ship. They're going to also try to transport uh, Gary Mitchell down to the planet and maroon him there. So that's what they've opted to do. The planet actually looked pretty good. Yeah, I wonder if that's, you know, one of, again, one of those uh, remastered, you know, updated CGI things. I think I, I actually want to see if I can find an unremastered version just to compare what those looked like. I'm just curious. I, I want to see what the original one looked like. I kind of don't want to see what the original color palette looked like, though. Like before they touched up the uh, the video and everything. Do not get me started. Do not get <laughs> me started. I'm going to be quiet on the subject. I'm going to be quiet on the subject right there. Uh, so back in the medical bay, uh, Gary Mitchell is using his mind to move a cup to uh, a little water spout in the wall and uh, fill up the cup, and then he has it fly into his hand as uh, Kirk and Daner and Spock enter the room. So obviously he's he's getting stronger, and he's starting to figure stuff out, you know, that he can do. Gary mentions, you know, how he some people think that he's a monster, and, you know, Kirk is like, hey, you know, are, are you reading all of our thoughts? And Gary says, you know, he, he senses worry in uh, Kirk, and we all know that, like, worry leads to fear, which leads to hatred, which leads to the dark side. Uh, so Kirk asks what Gary would do, 
in his place. And Gary says, yeah, I'd, I'd probably do what Spock is suggesting right now or is thinking right now. And uh, yeah, I would kill me while you can. So Kirk turns away, you know, he does this like little fake out thing and then lunges at Gary, who gives him like this Emperor Palpatine shock, you know, hits him and Spock with some kind of invisible electricity. He tells Kirk that, you know, he knows they're orbiting above Delta Vega and that he doesn't want to go down there. And, you know, maybe there's another planet that he's like, maybe there's another planet I could use, you know, being kind of vague. Uh, So he stands up and and starts to walk towards them and towards the door and says that he doesn't understand it yet. But maybe, you know, with things he could do, you know, things like a god could. And then Kirk just elbows Gary in the side while Spock punches him in the stomach. And uh, (laughs) Kirk punches Gary in the face and knocks him down on the bed. And uh, Dr. Daner gives him a a shot to to knock him out. But, yeah, they jumped in pretty quick, man. Like. Boy, Spock does not miss uh, miss his cue either. Like Kirk throws that elbow, and Spock's right there with a the follow up punch. My thing is, uh, you didn't sense that punch coming. Like, like, yeah, like you didn't, you didn't sense that elbow coming, bro. Because he just he gave he gave an elbow and a liver. Then he gave, like get up like pow. I was like, oh, you didn't sense that coming. Like I thought he could. Re- I thought he could read. Yeah, thoughts. I wonder if it's a matter of just like he wasn't reading Kirk's thoughts at that time. Like maybe he got cocky and thought that he didn't have to. Or, yeah, I don't know. He just, yeah, he didn't see it coming and uh, caught one of the gut. Well, two to the gut and one of the face. I don't know. I just, I've watched this scene three or four times with the elbow, man. And I just, the elbow he gets him is dirty, first of all. It's a dirty elbow. He's like, oh, he's like, oh, he caught him slipping. Then then Spock came with a punch. It's like, oh, the whole team go jumping like that? Like, that's real messed up. I just. Yeah, Kirk's not afraid to throw down. So they take Gary to the transporter bay uh, where he kind of, it's already coming out of this tranquilizer. So either it was incredibly weak or. You know, maybe his changed state allows him to get out of it faster. Um, And he wakes up and, you know, he's talking about how he's going to squash them like insects. And then they trank him again and they beam everybody down to the planet. Okay, one second. On on this beam. On this beam. Okay, so maybe I'm being too too me sometimes. Okay, so, so people know my brain gets weird. How did he stand up straight up and down to get beamed without getting held? If he if he is drugged, then I assume he would have been down on the ground or like groggy, not standing there like a statue to get ready to get uh, transported. You know, I'm just I'm I'm just I'm not I'm not complaining. I'm just really stating that that just kind of it's kind of weird. I'm going to call kinda, that a limit of the uh, effects at the time. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, so they they go to the planet, which is a desert planet. Uh, you know, there's an industrial plant on there, which. All that we've seen so far are desert planets, which makes sense because that's that's probably mostly what is out there. But I mean, I don't know why you don't just you know mix it up a little bit. I don't know. Maybe it's more of a uh, money budget issue. Like they think how much the show go in the desert, film out there where there's nothing at. That way, they don't have to worry. Yeah, about and once it. you truck like three tons of sand into a studio, you probably don't want to remove it. You just get as much out of it as you can. Yep. Where, where's all the water worlds? Right. Yeah. Where's Kevin Costner on his boat? That's right. Uh, so Lee and his crew prepare to beam back to the Enterprise, and Kirk asks Lee if he could detonate the fuel bins uh, with a switch from the the from the little console next to them. Uh, Lee says he could, yeah, he could probably do that, and Kirk orders him to to wire up a switch to just blow everything up just in case, or maybe he just wants to do it. Like maybe he's turning into a psycho. You just, you never know. He's like, you know, I'm tired of people with mind abilities. I'm just ending everything for everyone. Uh, Kirk and Spock go to visit Gary who uh, he's now awake and he's in a cell. Um, and Kirk orders Dr. Piper with them. 
to have only one doctor there at a time while the other one monitors from uh, a screen in a safe location. And Dr. Daner volunteers to stay and monitor Gary so that she can try to talk to him, which immediately I would think Kirk would find suspicious, but he doesn't notice at all. He picks up on everything super quick, and she's been really, really fast to come to Gary's defense this entire time. And he, he doesn't notice anything weird about that. Yeah, I wrote uh, Doctor Blonde enjoying him way too much. Like she, she just, she just looking at him, and she's like, she's even smiling this time. Like before, she was, she had, she had a stone face on. Now she's even kind of smiling. So Gary then reminds uh, Captain Kirk about how uh, Gary had taken a, a poison dart meant for him uh, on Demoris, and asks why Kirk is afraid of him now. So they just keep doing what they can to try to, to build a relationship that is is not really there. And apparently, like. Yeah. Gary's just a stand-up dude, like, or was before. Like, took a poison dart for Kirk and everything. Yeah, I think that leads to later on, when we get toward the end, I, I, I think that, that leads into the, a big thing in the later on. But uh, right now, I just think that they, they, they keep mentioning uh, these small stories between them. You know, I, I just kill, they keep building up that champ friendship dynamic. Remember the time I saved your life? Remember the time we did this? Remember the time we did that? Like, all these T- times all these good things and every time he does that it also makes the each decision harder harder for kirk to know what he has to do for, right to get rid of yeah him. he's just kind of using guilt it as like tripping. i did this thing for you yeah exactly he's just you know trying to guilt trip kirk into uh letting him live kirk says that uh gary's been testing his ability to take over the enterprise uh and he says that gary threatened to squash them in the transporter room um gary's like well you know i was drugged you can't really believe what i was saying when i was drugged uh, and Kirk is like, you know, you said in, in the sick bay uh, that you would kill, you know, a mutant like yourself. And Gary's like, well, you know, Spock is right. And, you know, Kirk's a fool if he can't see it. So he's just not even pretending at that point anymore like he was five seconds ago. Um, he's like, you know, men can't survive if a race of true espers is born. And uh, he tries to walk out of the cell, but he gets shocked by uh, an invisible force field and tries to push through the force field. But he, he just gets like knocked on his ass. At that point, his eyes return back to normal, and Spock is like, oh, you know, fighting the force field must have drained his strength. And so then Gary's eyes turn back to silver, so he didn't get drained uh, for too long there. Uh, So back on the Enterprise, the crew is repairing the bridge. Uh, Scott messages Kirk, asking if uh, Spock got the phaser rifle that he set down. And and Kirk's like, well, you know, I didn't order one of those. But then Spock walks in like a badass just carrying this thing. He's like, yeah, you know. It is so awesome, bro. He can't read it. Like, it's almost like one of the movie scenes where it's like, uh, oh, get the guns. Yeah, man, get the big one. And then he walked in there and he walked in there with something that's ridiculous. Like, oh my God, that's not even a normal sized gun. Like, I, I smirked when I saw um, that. So, this brings me back actually to uh, a question in our last episode about Charlie when Dan asked if Charlie made all of the weapons on the Enterprise disappear. And then you guys had this discussion about, like, what other weapon do you need besides a phaser? So, they have these rifles yeah. now. So do you think Charlie made those disappear too? He would have had to. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just going to like storm through the halls and just blast him with those things. Well, if this is the pilot, they're like, oh, hey, let's get rid of all the rifles, but just keep all the stun guns. Yeah, it is weird that this was filmed first and that we, you know, with a assault monster, you know, assault sucking monster and uh, a, a guy with, you know, telepathic abilities uh, roaming the ship, they didn't bother to bring out the rifles at any point right now nah, those won't work yeah so spock then uh mentions to kirk that gary tried to get through the force field again and that his eyes had changed back but then they returned to the silver uh faster and he didn't get as weak as he did the first time 
So Kirk argues that uh, Dr. Daner feels that Gary isn't that dangerous, and uh, he wants to know what makes Spock right and her wrong. And Spock says that it's because she feels and that he doesn't, that he all he knows is logic. And at this point, I'm really starting to take issue with Captain Kirk. Um, I understand that, you know, he's got this connection to his friend, but he's very back and forth. Like he's, you know, my crew is what comes first. Uh, I have to keep them safe. And then, you know, Spock is like, well, no, you know, in order to do that, we got to get rid of this guy. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I agree with you. And then he's back to, well, you know, what makes you right about this? Like he's he's obviously not a threat to us. Like he obviously is a threat to them. And he was okay with doing this five minutes ago. I think you are taking the question wrong. I think he's having a debate with the two of them to make his decision like he's doing a captain thing where he's saying, hey, look, you think you're right. You think you're right. You guys explain to me why you think you're right. And then I can make my decision. I think he's looking for information not to confirm, you know, he's like, oh, that's why he mentions that. I don't think he's trying to do it. The other like way. that's that's part of my like, whole hey. issue with him is that he's very quick to pick up on everything and to always try to do the right thing. And then he always just fucks it up like midway through. And, and like yeah. this is him you know, kind of starting to mess that up. He's letting his emotions from being, you know, we're just going to assume probably a lifelong friend with this guy. He just, he's having a hard time making a decision. Yeah, but he's already committed to the fact that they are at the very least stranding him on this planet by himself. And then he had a guy rig up a button to just blow them up if Gary, you know, gets out and it looks like he's going to start wrecking shit. And now he's just being a total dick to Spock. For no reason. Like, he's just super back and forth about it. And it kind of, like, ruins his character for me. See, I think it makes him more human and more relatable. Think about all the times you had the decision and you went back and forth inside. Or you're like, go do this and went back and do the same thing again. Oh, I'm going to quit smoking. Then I go back and smoke again. Oh, I'm going to quit this or quit that. I think it actually makes him more believable as a captain to think that he goes through these uh, hard stuff to try to make these decisions that he makes because he realizes what's going to happen in the end. Yeah, and I think that that's a, a fair statement that he, this is kind of him showing that he knows what he has to do, but he doesn't want to do it. But I wish that, it, you know, if that's what's going on, I wish that it had been better written because it kind of starts to make him look almost incompetent that, you know, he can't just do this thing and stick with it and keeps going back and forth. And now he's just being a total dick to Spock for no reason. And, and Spock was right the whole time. Yeah. And Kirk realized that by now, otherwise they wouldn't, you know, be where they are. So, you know, maybe I think that's a good point. You know, maybe he is just dreading this thing that he has to do. And it's just a, a poor way for them to show it. Right. I agree. Yeah. Um. So Lee comes in the room and tells Kirk that the uh, blow all this shit up button is ready. And Kirk, you know, says, hey, if, you know, if Mitchell gets out of this thing, then and you're, you know, it's your last chance to just hit that button. And then they, they go to the commercial break, uh, come back to the captain's log again. Uh, start date 1313.3. The Enterprise is almost fully regenerated and the landing party is being transported uh, back up. And Mitchell is growing stronger by the minute. And that's all given through narration by Kirk. Kirk wants everybody to gather up to the transport together. And Dr. Daner says that she is going to stay behind with Gary. And there is absolutely no argument or discussion about that at all. Not a red flag at all. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, so in another room, Dr. Kelso is giving a report when Gary uses his power to strangle Kelso with a power cord or what appears to be some kind of like electrical power cord. Uh, so that brings us to 14 total dead in the series so far. Uh, so back at uh, Gary's cell, uh, Captain Kirk and Elizabeth Daner are arguing about her wanting to stay. So now they actually have that discussion. 
Uh, and Gary interrupts them using his uh, echoey voice again. Uh, he waves his hand and just shocks Kirk and Spock before Spock could bring up the rifle to shoot Gary. And uh, Gary just turns off the force field using his special power. So Gary leads uh, Dr. Daner into his cell and brings her to a mirror. And when she looks in the mirror, she now has silver eyes as well. So obviously, you know, the same thing that's happening to him is happening to her. Which I wonder if she knew that and that's why she has been trying to stay with him the whole time. Or if she just had a weird obsession before and and now she's just, you know, these things are just now happening. I, I feel like she knew. I disagree. I feel like she's a scientist. I think a lot of times scientists they they just want they they just want to learn stuff. So I assume that I assume because she was a scientist, not because uh, she knew. I can actually see an argument for both of those. I, I hadn't considered the uh, the scientist angle because they don't really talk about it too much. Like, yeah, she is a psychiatrist and she is there to study this specific thing, and you know they really only said that beginning. But I can kind of see, you know, maybe it's a bit of both. Like, maybe she realizes she's become this way, but then she also wants to study the dude. I don't know. Well, with her having an ESP before they she got hit with that man, magnetic storm or whatever, Paul's probably right. She'd been actually curious about him. But I also think that she had, you know, she knew she had that. Like, that's why she was so drawn to him on top of it. I just think that every decision she's made, this whole thing is more more scientific than than emotions like oh this this i'm gonna study this oh I, oh he's this way i, I want to i'm gonna study him for this reason oh this i think he's a good person we don't know that like everything she made has been more more her being more curious and more interested in to know what's going on than it has been to uh go to the extreme that um spock is on yeah i can kind of i can honestly i i can, I can see it more being a mixture of the the two of them because she would have to know that you know her power is kind of changing a little bit right because i mean like dan said you know she already knew that she had these esp abilities so she would have to know that they're increasing but she probably does just want to study both herself and him at the same time and now she's like weirdly infatuated with him because she gave him a, a a love sonnet but uh later on a doctor finds uh spock and kirk and wakes kirk up and gives him uh, some kind of pill they don't say what it is i'm just gonna assume it's a sensu bean since Sabine. And uh, he says that something uh, hit him as well and that Kelso is dead and uh, that Dr. Daner went with uh, Gary Mitchell. Um, Kirk tells the doctor not to give Spock one of those pills until after uh, he's he's gotten up and left. Uh, at this point, he really should just admit that he was wrong and be like, hey, wake Spock up, tell him to grab that gun and let's go fuck this dude up. But he's like, oh, you know, leave, just leave this guy here. That's not my issue now. My issue is just get Spock and leave now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, hey, these dudes are gone. Fuck it. But if they're gone, they're going to be together. Like, let's just let's just go. Leave them here. Yeah, they can't get off the planet. Yeah. Yeah, because they, they were talking about maroon, maroon them as one of the options. Like, yo, let them let them get up and let them do their god thing on their planet together. I can just move on. Yeah, like, leave. realistically, they were just going to leave him, not kill him and leave him, but just leave him. So his power was going to get to this point whether they were there or not. Or not. Yeah, so so it's like, oh, now he has somebody to spend his whole time with him, with them also. Now you want to ruin it? And like, what does it matter if he's out of his cell at this point? He was going to get out anyway when they left because he was going to continue to get stronger. It's not like he was going to die the second they left. Yeah, exactly. And she was going to let him out anyway. Yeah, you, you put them in the cage, you force them in there, you get the pieces you need to fix your shit, get you ready to go. Hey, sorry for you, bro. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know you're going to get out of here eventually, but we're going to be gone. Yeah. See you yeah. later. 
So at this point, uh, Kirk says that it is his fault that Mitchell got as far as he did and and asks uh, the doctor which way they went. And the doctor gives them a very, very detailed description of where they went for, you know, somebody that was knocked out along with everybody else. So Kirk tells the doctor to beam everybody back up to the Enterprise. And uh, if they haven't heard from him in 12 hours, then they are to go to the nearest Earth station at maximum warp and subject the entire planet to a lethal concentration of deutron radiation. So uh, Gary and Elizabeth are wandering in the rocky desert wasteland. And Gary just starts making plants and water appear out of nowhere and uh, tells her that, you know, hey, soon you're going to be able to do what I can do. Um, Meanwhile, Kirk is, uh, you know, hot on their trail and Gary can sense that. And then as Kirk tries to crawl into a position, uh, he knocks over a very heavy, noisy rock that looked like it was made out of uh, sponge. So Gary then tells Elizabeth, you know, that she's going to like being a god and that uh, he makes her a tree of Kafarian apples and she starts eating those. They look like some kind of weird, like, gourd thing. Like, it doesn't look like any sort of apple. It does not look appetizing at all. And another, very, uh, another very good prop choice to make a, a fruit that doesn't look like any other kind of fruit that kind of seems unique since they gave it a unique, unique name. Captain Kirk uh, is still trying to sneak up on them as they are enjoying their apples. And uh, Gary starts to speak to him telepathically, um, you know, tells him that, you know, hey, you're almost here. You're going to get here pretty soon. Um, and Dr. Danner says that she can see Kirk in her mind as well. And uh, Gary's like, well, you know, go ahead and go talk to him. She finds Kirk and uh, he asks her for help before, you know, things get too out of hand. And, you know, she's still, you know, full on Team Gary and defending him. Uh, Kirk is pretty concerned that uh, Mitchell has no compassion anymore and, you know, says that above all else, you know, a god needs compassion. So he's kind of like trying to play her like, you know, yeah, he is pretty much a god, but he's a pretty shitty one. He says that, you know, as powerful as Gary gets, he's still going to have all of humanity's frailties inside of him. Uh, And he tries to appeal to her, you know, psychiatrist experience and asking what she thinks is going to happen to him and warns, you know, that she warns him that, you know, Mitchell's on his way. So he's just kind of trying to play to, you know, her sensibility. I actually like that part, though. Yeah, he's he's pretty much saying like, yeah, you know. Gary is a god. He's just a super shitty one. And and you know that, you know, eventually he's going to get bored of this and he's going to get bored of you. And then, like, what do you think is going to happen at that point? So Gary appears and talks about how he's uh, pretty disappointed in Elizabeth, I assume, for not just, like, outright murdering uh, Captain Kirk. And then Kirk just does this fucking sweet combat roll and shoots Gary with the, the phaser rifle, but it has no effect on him. Um, So Gary just kind of waves his hand and the rifle goes flying out of Kirk's hands. And for the first time in this series, I caught not really a mistake, but there's a a wire hanging off the top of the rifle that you can see as it like gets, you know, like yanked out of Kirk's hand. So instead of having him just pretend, you know, do like a throwing motion and pretend that it was taken from him, they just had it hooked onto a wire and just yanked it away. And you could very clearly see the wire. Oh, I didn't notice it. Yeah, it doesn't detract from this episode for me at all. Like, you know, it's the 60s. They didn't have the kind of digital editing technology that we have now. It's just, you know, I can see the wire there. I thought it was pretty funny. So Gary says that he's been uh, contemplating the death of an old friend. And, you know, then he looks up to a a large rock above him. And then he motions to a hole in the ground and says that, well, you know, at least my friend deserves a decent burial. You know, he motions his hand to a, a tomb and then a tombstone appears at the top of the hole. And it reads uh, James R. Kirk, uh, C. 1277.1 to 1818.7. 
And then I was like, James R. Kirk. Everything that I knew from Star Trek was James T. Kirk. Yeah, James Tiberius Kirk. Yeah, but the, the tombstone said James R. Kirk. Dude, I never even noticed that. Now I, I got to do some research. I, I actually looked it up, and it turns out it was just a, a production goof. Uh, they they just put the wrong – somebody somewhere when they were making that prop put the wrong initial. Uh, Gene Roddenberry actually says – about it, uh, that while Gary has godlike powers at his base, he's still human. So, you know, uh, Gary made a mistake. Mm. Maybe he forgot, temporarily forgot uh, Captain Kirk's middle name and just put it. He's, he's like, you know, I don't remember what it is, but I'm going to go with R. Like, he, he seems like a J- James Robert Kirk or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Gary starts to bring down the, uh, the giant rock and uh, Elizabeth tells him to stop. And Gary says that, you know, morals are for men. They're not for gods. And uh, Kirk says, you know, well, you are a god, but, you know, you still have those human frailties. You know, you saw that human side of you. Uh, and Mitchell then tells Kirk that it's time to pray to him for an easy death and forces Kirk to his knees and then, like, forces his hands into, like, a, a prayer pose. So Kirk tries to uh, play Mitchell and Daner against each other, you know, saying that in the end there will only be one, you know, jealous god, but, you know, eventually they're they're going to go after each other. Uh, at which point, uh, Dr. Daner uses her power to shock Gary. Uh, he starts like shocking her back. So they have like a, you know, Palpatine duel, Gary, they both collapse and Gary Mitchell's eyes return back to normal. And Dr. Daner tells, uh, Kirk to hurry. Kirk just runs over and starts beating the shit out of Gary. Uh, you know, he goes all in with like punches and chops and throws and like double ax handle smashes and that's one of the things that I'm really enjoying about this series is that like while the fights are, you know, cheesy by today's standards, they just go all in every time. Like there's no bullshit. They just go in and just start start swinging. It's not the cheesy. It's the it's so sloppy and not and not finessed. And it's like it's not like it's like choreographed for hours. It's not smooth. It's supposed to be, you know, it's just oh, it's just two dudes trying to beat the crap out of each other. And it just looks really good. How a real fight would go down. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what I really like is like, do they just go all in? Like even when you remember when uh, Spock went in and just slapped the shit out of the salt monster, like just went in with a double axe yeah, handles. He, he dealt, he dealt with, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just go all in yeah, every time, like just yeah. full force. It, yeah. I, I love every second of it. Like it's it's not, you know, like modern kung fu, but man, they just, they just start hammering each I other. Agree. Uh, I agree. So Gary starts to fight back and he uh, hits Kirk, uh, you know, several times and. Kirk knocks uh, Gary down and gets on top of him and grabs a large rock and holds it up above his head like he's going to you know, smash Gary's head. And then uh, as Kirk is about to kill him, uh, Gary's eyes turn silver again, so he gets all of his power back. And uh, he stops Captain Kirk from smashing his head with that rock. So Kirk tries to punch him, but uh, you know Gary just kind of gives him the effortless block and uh, you know throws Captain Kirk away. Uh, Gary grabs uh, a pretty huge boulder that he should not be able to hold. And holds it up above his head, and Kirk uh, tackles him, tackles his legs, and they both fall into the grave that is there. So uh, Kirk climbs out and grabs his the pulse rifle and shoots the boulder above them, and it falls onto the grave and traps Gary inside. Kirk uh, runs to check on Elizabeth, and she apologizes for everything, and then she just dies. And uh, Kirk calls the Enterprise on his communicator, uh, presumably to get transported back up. And that's kind of it for like the threat of Gary, which is... He'd be alive in that hole, right? Like, I feel like he would be able to use his mind to move that or make it disappear. That, and also, 
if he's dead, why did he all the godlike powers he has that that's what kills him? Right. I don't think he died in there. I think he just, it's just the rock covered the hole and he's just stuck in a hole. But he could just make the rock disappear. Yeah. I don't. I don't understand it myself. I let that. I let that go. Yeah. I don't believe for a second that like that's that's an incredibly anticlimactic and and non, you know, finite way to end that. Like we don't know that he's even dead, but they're just like, yeah, he didn't survive that. What What's the notion? If you don't see the body, they're not dead. Yeah. Was that a thing back in the sixties? Like I know it is now, but I mean, I guess only time will tell if if we show if like if he shows up again later and he's just like super pissed. I've been in a hole for fifty years. Yeah, <laughs> just been chilling down there. So on the Enterprise, uh, Kirk is making a captain's log, uh, and they're now at start date thirteen thirteen point eight. So they're still you know it hasn't been that long since this whole thing happened. Um, he adds that uh, Elizabeth Daner and Gary Mitchell he adds them to the official list of losses, which is growing by the episode noting that they gave their lives in the performance of their duty. And he tells uh, Spock that Mitchell didn't ask for what happened to him. Uh, you know, and he didn't want his record to be tarnished because of what happened. And Spock responds by saying that uh, he felt for him as well. So Kirk, you know, cracks a little joke like, oh, you know, I believe there might be some hope for you after all. And then that's that's just kind of the end of it. And that actually brings us to 16 deaths now. Paul, final thoughts on this one? So, originally, I thought this was the best episode, like, I ever saw in here. It, it, by far, I gave it a 30 out of 10. And then as we're talking about it, you go ahead and ruin things for me with your, with your, <laughs> with your thoughts over here. And, you know, I never even considered the dumb death. I was so... Here's the thing about this, this episode I want to explain. Like, so, this episode, like, there's a theme behind this episode that people, like, a small theme... And he, they said a quote earlier. It says, absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's a famous right. quote. It implies that the best person in the world, once they get power, it starts to go to your head. And the next thing you know, you're not the person who you started as. That's the same thing about you being rich. If you're poor and get rich, you start doing things you wouldn't do, and you become the person you weren't. That's kind of the message behind this thing. So, like, I got my head around that pretty early. So, I truly, like... My issue with this episode, talking about it, like I, I'm surprised I had anything to say about it. I was watching it because it was so good and so intriguing to me that I thought it was the best episode ever until you ruined it with the ending part. Like, <laughs> yeah. When you ruined it about the whole death in the rock form on the top, I thought, wow, that is kind of stupid the way he died. I I knew he died like that. My brain and red star stupid it was until you said it out loud. I was like, oh, yeah, that is kind of stupid, huh? Now, now I'm ready. So I'll, I'll give it a 9.9. Episode, I just I can't believe I didn't even dwell on the fact that he ended in a terrible way. Like the way the, the way they both died was just a just a waste. Well, I'm of time. sorry that I got both you to knock off a uh, point one on your yeah <laughs> your rating yeah, yeah 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 uh, whole point one because of you you know a whole point one. I was gonna say this is the the best episode I seen. I mean, it's still the best episode I've seen by far. I think it's the best written episode. It's the best filmed episode. The best fights. The best everything about this is like. If every episode is as good as this, then I'll I'll be good. Even with the with, even with the terrible death, my only issue with the death once again is once you brought it up, I thought about it. How did she die? Yeah, I think she just kind of like overexerted herself, or maybe like Gary did enough damage during their Palpatine fight that you know she just succumbed to her injuries or something. And then, or also, I also had the first thought that you guys brought earlier. Maybe they actually both were alive when, when Kurt left, but he wanted to make sure they weren't. Not, not, not. They were go uh, look for them or anything like that. Like they live more for life, but he's like, oh, put the notation that they die just in case. We don't want nobody else coming. Officially back dead, but might not be dead. Yeah, they, they they tricked them. Like, oh, hey, he'll leave us alone if they if he thinks we're dead. Because she, he, he was able to play with his vitals earlier to make it look like he was dead. So 
and all you know she should be able to do the same yeah that's true actually but overall overall conclusions without me going too deep into it again was i think it was a great episode by far the best episode i just think i love i love the fighting i love the acting i love everything in this episode like it just truly episode that's why i wasn't talking too much i usually talk because i truly and just enjoyed this episode i enjoyed it so much there was not a lot for me to talk about and complain about because it just i enjoyed it so right there we go. um for me, uh, I liked the episode as a whole. There were a couple of really good moments, like the whole suspenseful thing on the bridge. I, re- I liked the fight scene at the end. Um, but I'm just, I'm tired of mind powers already. And I know, like I said, you know, we're only like, what, well, this would be episode four, counting the pilot. And three of those have had some sort of uh, ESP or, or telepathic or telekinetic uh, element to them. Uh, this one also really highlighted how... I think that Kirk is just annoying in the way that he always starts off doing the right thing and then lets his emotions get in the way. And I understand that he has to have a flaw, like he can't be, you know, perfect with everything, but that's an incredibly stupid flaw to have happen every episode so far. If every episode is going to be, you know, him, uh, figuring out what's going on pretty early on and then just screwing it up because he's a human every time it's, it's going to get very old for me very soon. Like, I understand that he has to play the contrast to Spock, who is just right all the time and always has the right answers, but I think it's just going to ruin Kirk's character if it continues this way. And I really think that Spock would be a better captain, though, as we discussed, he might have a uh, a higher body count this at this time. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, I, I liked the episode. It's just it's not doing wonders for for Kirk's character for me, but I am really becoming a fan of uh, of Spock. If Spock was the captain, it doesn't mean the logical thing is the right thing. Right now, the logical thing is the right thing. But sometimes, eventually, the logical thing won't be the right thing. So I just I just know that it, it, as much as we think, oh, maybe we should go with Spock's idea, it sounds right. But sometimes the logical thing isn't always the right thing. I've learned that about my life. I agree with you there 100%, and I would be curious to see if eventually that does come into play. Yeah, so I'm I, yeah, I'm assuming that, you know, logical thing is the right thing. I get that, but sometimes it's not the right thing. So I feel like right now we, we've been agreeing with Spock a lot. I mean, pretty much every episode, his, the way he's thinking. But eventually you're going to come to a point where he's going to have to make a decision like, wait a minute, that's, make, that, that's not a good decision. You know, what if, it was, what, what if this was a kid and not an adult? What if, what if, what if it was like a 10-year-old kid instead of an adult? Think of they had that kind of with the, the teenager. Yeah, yeah Charlie was kind of that He way. wasn't a kid kid, though. I mean, like a kid. I mean, like a 13-year-old a young kid. That changes the way you view things, and it changes the way way, way logic dictates what you, what you can do. So, like, lot, I get it right now, logically, his decision, of course, this is the right decision. I just know that in the, in the future, maybe there might be more times where Spock's way of thinking may be logically right, but in the end, the way Kirk does the way he does will make it more more humane, like more caring, more humane. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, So far, really, the only situations we've been presented with is kind of get rid of the one for the good of the many, like the one person could potentially, you know, kill everybody on the ship. And so that's why it's been a pretty, you know, obvious thing from Spock, which is like, we'll just get rid of the one. And I'm curious to see if they do eventually present situations where that's not the case, where it's not, you know, this one guy could potentially kill everybody. And so it's not such a simplistic answer. Like I, I, 
I hope that they do that because I don't want to keep seeing the same scenario over and over. And, you know, every episode sit here and go, well, you know, Spock's right. Should have killed him the first 30 seconds into the episode. Um, yeah, I, I hope that they do switch that up a little bit and explore it a little more. Dan, what were your thoughts on this episode? Overall, I liked it. Uh, I I agree with both of you guys what you're saying about uh, Spock and Kirk. Uh, at this point, though, they've, well, further into the episodes where they've come across, you know, these godlike beings, there should be some type of protocol by now saying, hey, this person's able to do such, you know, such, 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 such thing, uh, maybe you should be treating them as a hostile enemy right off the bat. Because as of right now, we haven't seen any good godlike beings yet. Yeah, that was something I was uh, curious about as well. If we'll ever see somebody have a godlike power where they don't just get 100% corrupted and actually use that for good. But I guess that wouldn't be as interesting a story to tell. But overall, I enjoyed the episode. Uh, I find myself being more on Team Spock than Kirk. But I understand where Kirk's coming from, you know, from a very sincere place. But like I said earlier in the episode, you have to worry about all your crew members. And I I couldn't imagine trying to put yourself in the shoes like, hey, this is my best friend that I might have to kill. But I have 429 other people on the ship I got to worry about also. Wow. I think you might have actually been close to the number he quoted, too. In that last episode, it, it might be a little bit hot. It might, it should be higher since this is the first episode, but we've already what, lost four. Yeah. Um, but before we wrap this up, I do have to pose a question for you guys that I uh, haven't, sp- I, I, I thought about the question that I'm like, I'm not going to dwell on this because I wanted to uh, specifically bring this up and have this discussion uh, over the course of the next couple minutes. Who would win, Charlie or Gary Mitchell, if they had to fight each other? <laughs> Oh, um, I'm gonna go with Charlie. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go with Charlie. I think his powers, I think his powers were a tad, a, a tad bit more impressive to me overall. Okay, but let's um, let's say end of the episode, Gary Mitchell, though, not like future, you know, potential God in the Sky, Gary Mitchell. You'd still give that one to uh, to Charlie. Look, look, look how Gary died, man. He died with a rock falling on him. We don't know that he's dead, though. Well, I'm just saying. Let's just let's just take it. Let's take it as it is. He died with rock falling on him. Now we good. Like now, nah, give me Charlie. Dan, what do you think? I'm gonna go scary just because he's older than Charlie. Uh, I think Charlie's emotions would play more into a factor if they were to have a psychic duel, where Gary being. Well, he looks like he's in his 30s, but they're saying what he's in his 20s. Uh, yeah, he's like 22 or something like that. I, don't I, I think experience would uh, benefit Gary. Yeah, I also think that Gary would win. Just, uh, But I guess it would really come down to is can Gary stop himself from being uh, removed from existence if Charlie wants to do that? Like if he sees Charlie's face scrunching up, oh? can he keep himself there? Because they both uh, have the power to make things appear. Uh, you know, uh, Charlie had the uh, the rose. He had the, the perfume. Gary, you know, made the apples and the water and the different plants. And thank God he didn't do those blue, noisy-ass plants. When you're speaking about the powers, I'm about to get nerdy. Here we go. Is the fact that uh, Charlie turned the person into a lizard, which is... Was his transmodification or whatever? Which yeah. Is, which, which, yeah. Which is changing something to something else. And did what Gary did. 
Gary only only made things appear out of no out of, out of out of thin air. Yeah, but does that mean that Gary can't do that, or we just didn't see uh, it? We, we, I'm just saying, we, I saw Charlie do both things, so I'm assuming that Charlie can change people to whatever he wants to change them to. Okay, that's fair. We can't if we're going to start speculating powers, then it's going to get. Yeah, you're right. So it's like, yeah, I think Charlie's powers are stronger. That's why. Shit, actually, that might make me switch to Team Charlie. You know, speaking of fighting, and I I I, I hope to see it. I want I want to see Spock. And Kirk fight each other. Ooh. It might happen eventually. I think they, it might happen eventually. I got money I on Kirk. It, I got money if on they're Kirk getting always, ready man. to fight, uh, Kirk is going to go. You know, I really have to do this thing, but I don't want to do it. And while he's, uh, you know, dealing with the inner turmoil, Spock's just gonna just whoop his ass because he knows he go. has to. Here we go. You know, by all means, Spock should win. But I think with Kirk's uh, being unpredictable would give him the slight edge over Spock. Yep, I agree. Because Spock would always think logically where Kirk's like, I'm going to do this random thing. Yeah. Shit, are we Star Trek fans now? <laughs> Nerd. We're debating on who's going to win in a fight now. Okay, well, uh, the next episode that we're going to watch is uh, season one, episode four, called The Naked Time. But if anybody has any questions, comments, uh, we are on Twitter at WWST underscore podcast. You can also uh, catch us on YouTube. Uh, we're watching Star Trek. You know, if you're happening to listen to this on uh, Spotify or whatever and you prefer YouTube, we are on there. And uh, I feel like that's pretty much everything that I have for today. Anything else for you guys? Uh, I just want to thank whoever is listening to this. Thank you for joining our crew. Yeah, so that's uh, pretty much going to do it for me. And uh, we'll catch everybody next time. Later. Peace out. <laughs>